Our speaker, as earlier has, was announced, is Paul Johannan. Looking forward to hearing him speak, where he's going to be teaching on the opening passage in Nehemiah. Earlier this week, when several of us were meeting and talking with Paul, he mentioned he was going to speak on Nehemiah, and I said, oh, are you announcing a building program? People always, churches always have a wall building program when they're going to have a new building program. Paul assured us that uh, he was going to be going in a different direction. Please listen to the word. Nehemiah chapter 1, reading through chapter 2, verse 8. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the city of citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from the Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands and decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, What is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. 
Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence that I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my request. Hearing of his word. Let's pray. Our Father, we are reminded you control all of human history. You control the events of individuals. You control the events and the hearts of kings. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We praise you for your word that reminds us of these great truths. And we pray now for Paul as he speaks that the word may become living in us and give Paul clarity of thought and clarity of speech for your glory and for our good, Lord, we pray. Amen. As John mentioned, this book is most often taught as a leadership manual or a, or a fundraiser guide. While it may contain principles that can be used for that, I think that this approach misses the purpose of the book. I think that it shows us how we should live in a hostile, in a hostile culture. It shows us how to be faithful, faithful servants for the Lord Jesus Christ. You probably remember the, um, the historical situation. Judah continually had disobeyed God. God had sent Nebuchadnezzar to take Judah to Babylon, and there they were exiled for 70 years. God raised up Cyrus, the Persian king, and he allowed the Jews to return to Judah. Under the governor Zerubbabel, they rebuilt the temple. And then 13 years before this time of Nehemiah, Ezra had returned, and he his purpose was to teach the people the, God's law. As we read here this, that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, he worked for the government. He was a civil servant. And the book opens with Nehemiah learning that the wall of, of Jerusalem was broken down and the gates had, had been destroyed. And his reaction was one of weeping and mourning for, for days, and he fasted, fasted and prayed. My purpose this morning is not to teach the whole book of Nehemiah. That would take many weeks, and um, we don't have that time this morning. But my goal is just to present a picture of, of how we should live in a, a culture that hostile to Christianity. And as we literally look at the life of Nehemiah and how he speaks and how he talks and how he acts, it's a little bit scary to us. We We don't usually talk like that, or we don't act like that, but for Nehemiah, it's a normal way, to, a normal way to live. How do we live the Christian life in this world? The Holy Spirit is only mentioned two times in reference to Israel and Nehemiah, but I think it presents a picture of how a Christian should live by the Spirit, how a Christian should walk, walk by the Spirit. 
As I said, I'm not going to try to teach the whole book, but just to give a picture of the man, Nehemiah, just a simple message, a simple outline. Nehemiah knew God, Nehemiah prayed, and Nehemiah witnessed. So so the first point, Nehemiah knew God. If you want to know a a man's theology, listen to him pray, and that's how we find out what, what his theology is. Let's look at um, this first chapter again in verse, in verse 4. And as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying for the God of heaven. We see that Nehemiah calls God the, the God of heaven. He's the only God. He's the true God, the God who's overall the, the sovereign God, the, the creator of the universe. You remember the Lord's Prayer begins, Our Father in heaven. In verse 5, Nehemiah says, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. God is great. He's awesome. In verse 5, he keeps covenant. If you've been in the Wednesday night class, you've learned about some of the covenants that God has made with his people. The covenant with Abraham, where God promised the land, the seed, and, and, also, and also a blessing. Or God's covenant with Moses, the land and requirements that that they needed to obey to remain in the land. And then God's covenant with David, the house and the throne. God had made many promises to Israel. And these also included conditions that Israel needed to, to obey. They were to obey God or else they would be in exile. And that's we see what happened. But there was also a promise in that if they returned to, to God, God would return them into the land. Verse 5, we see that he recognizes God as being a God who has steadfast love. And this is God's love for his people based on his covenants with them. Verse 6, God hears, hears prayers. He prays day and night and he knows that God hears his prayer. And because God does hear our prayer, then that gives us encouragement to pray. In verse 10, we see that God redeems his people. And this is a reference back to Exodus, when God redeemed Israel out of the land of Egypt and redeemed them out of, redeemed them out of slavery. So we see that grace comes first and then obedience to God. And then verse 10, great power and strong hand. God is sovereign. He's the creator. He's, he's the redeemer. And so we are encouraged to pray to him. But God is also not just the creator. He's just not also sovereign, but he also is, is personal. Look at Nehemiah chapter 2, verse, verse 12. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me, and I told no one what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. And then also, in, if you'll hold your finger in the chapter 2 and turn to chapter 7, and in the fifth verse, Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of genealogy of those who came up at the first, and I found written in it 
when we hear people talk like this, well, God told me to do this, or um, God put it in my heart, that makes us a little bit nervous when we hear talks like this, but shouldn't we expect that the God who created the universe, that is working out his will in his world, that he would lead and guide, guide his people? If you looked in the bulletin this morning and, and read this section for our visitors, you see that it states that God prompts men to lead in the worship service. Haven't you experienced times when you've felt that God has placed someone on your heart, on your mind, and you prayed for that person, you, you called for that, that person? And so you know that, that God is at work because he's moving you to pray for, for people. I want to tell a couple of instances out of my own life, not, not to point to me, but to see to show you that God does still work today, that God um, moves in the hearts of, of people. One time, uh, it was back when um, our daughter, daughter Sarah was getting ready to go to college, my wife Pam had, was going to take her to Lubbock to visit Texas Tech, and then they were going to go down to Austin and visit University of Texas. So they all piled in the car and, and, and set off. My job was to feed the dog and to water the plants. <laughs> I, I was sitting down one evening and fixed my dinner, and I thought something said, water the plants. And I thought, okay, well, I'll water the plants. I'm going to eat first and water the plants. Um, and I sat down and I felt, well, I really need to water the plants. I asked, but I thought, well, I can wait. A few more minutes won't, won't hurt the plants. I didn't realize, but Sarah had decided that she liked Texas Tech and that she wanted to go there. And so they cut their trip short and they um, didn't go to Austin. So as I was sitting there eating, then walked in Pam and, and the girls. Now, um, in the far as the matter of, of God's will for the earth, I don't think that the plants mattered that whole much, but I think that God did use that in my life to be sensitive to the leading of, of God, to, to listen when he places a person or a thought on, on my mind. You remember um, Theron Critton, who used to sit up there in the balcony, one day he didn't come to church, and I felt led to call him, so I called him and didn't get an answer. Called him again, and no answer. And finally I called the apartment building, and I said, can you check on him? And they said, well, sorry, we can't do that, but you have to call the police. So I called the police, and that um, uh, they had gotten in, and they found that he had passed away. So God puts on our hearts to pray for people, to talk to, to people, I remember another friend that I had that um, God put his name on, on my heart, and I so I called him a couple times, and I didn't hear an answer from him. And so then a few days later, his mother had called and said that he had um, he had committed suicide and passed away. So we, we see that that God is concerned about people. He's concerned about his will in our lives, and he is working to accomplish that will. And, and to accomplish that includes leading and guiding to, to his people. So I hope that you will learn to listen to God's leading and, and guidance and then obey. One caution is that 
God will never lead in, in a way that is contrary to his word. He will never lead you to disobey his word. So don't come and say, God told me to do this, and it's against his word. Let's look at Nehemiah 2, verse, verse 8. And this reading the, the second half of the verse. And the king granted me what I asked, for the good hand of my God was upon me. And then in verse 18, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had have spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. We don't use this term very much, the hand of God, but it refers to the providence of God. Nehemiah saw that God had moved in the king and had um, led him to grant all of his wishes. What is, what is providence? It's that God ordains everything that comes to pass. God brings about all things according to his will. Not one single molecule is outside of his control. God sustains the, the universe. Every breath that I take, every heartbeat, is ordained by God. God works his will even through the sin of the people in the world. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? He said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. The favorite verse of, of many people is Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And this verse is about the providence of providence of God, that God is at work in his people. He's at work accomplishing his will. People in previous generations spoke more often about God's providence. Even a deist like Ben Franklin wrote, I believe in one God, creator of the universe, that he governs it by his providence. We live in an age of, of science. We, we know why things happen. We, we know that, like in, um, in the book of Philippians 4.19, it says, God will supply every need of ours. For most of us, how does he supply our needs? Well, he gives us a job. I get up every day and I go to work. Still, it is God who provides. He gives us the ability to earn money to meet our needs. This week, we had a lot of rain. You've probably watched the, the weather forecast, and you see that well, there's a low-pressure area overhead, and this low-pressure area draws up moisture-laden uh, air from, from the Gulf, and then it also draws down a, a cold front from the north. And so when these two meet, we have rain. Or we could bring uh, the elementary students back in here, and we could ask them about the, the rain cycle. John reminded me this week at breakfast that Solomon talks about the rain cycle in Ecclesiastes. You know that... The water evaporates out of the oceans or out of the lakes. It condenses and forms clouds, and then it, you have precipitation and it rains, and then the water flows back to the rivers and the lakes and the oceans. We know the science, we know how, but why does it rain? It is God who causes it to rain. Another example of God's providence is, is our safety. Look at chapter 4. Verses uh, 7 to 20. When Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem were 
going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. And then going down to um, verse 14. And I looked and rose and said to nobles and officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And then skipping down to um, verse 20. In a place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. The enemies of, of Nehemiah were angry at the progress that they were making on the wall. So they plotted to come and, and fight against them and to, to stop the building of the wall. Nehemiah's response was he prayed and then he set a guard. And he told the people, God will fight for us. There's no conflict of between putting on their sword and saying God will fight for us. Nehemiah believed in the providence of God. And then in, in Nehemiah chapter 6, Look at verse 2 through 4. Send Balat and Geshem sent to me saying, Come and hear, come and let us meet together at Hakafrim in the place of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner. And then in 9, for they also wanted to frighten us, thinking their their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O God, strengthen my hands. And then in um, verse 10, uh, let's let's go to 11. But I said, should such a man as I run away, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him. But he had pronounced a prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. And Nehemiah's enemies could not stop the building of the wall by force. So now they were going to try to stop Nehemiah himself. They tried to get him by himself, maybe even to, even to kill him. When that didn't work, then they tried to get him to hide. But God was at work in protecting Nehemiah in every situation. He gave him wisdom to see what was happening. In verse 15 of chapter 6, So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month, Elu, in 52 days. And when all the enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help, with the help of our God. The wall was finished in 52 days, an amazing accomplishment. God used Nehemiah and the men of Judah to do his will. And the result was that God received the glory. So providence is we've seen that God is at work in the world to accomplish his will. God supplies our every need. Yet I get up every morning and go to work. But there's no conflict between my getting up and going to work and God supplying all my needs. I understand the rain cycle of how the rain happens, but I know that it's God who causes the rain. There's, there's no conflict between knowing the science and realizing that, that God is at work and he causes the rain.
God will fight for us. God will protect us. I get in my car. I put my seatbelt on. At my home, I lock the doors at night. But there's no conflict. I know that God is protecting me, but yet I take and do certain things to um, ensure my safety also. I may even have to put on a sword, but there's no conflict. God will fight for me. God ordains everything that happens. God uses you and me to accomplish his will. In the end, he, he is glorified. So we see that Nehemiah knew God. He knew that God ordained everything that comes to pass. God had made covenants with his people. He had seen God do amazing things. So it's only natural that Nehemiah is now going to talk to God, who's working out his will in his life. Nehemiah prayed. We, we already read chapter 1 again, but I just want to call attention to verse 4 in chapter 1, that he fasted and prayed when he heard the news about Jerusalem. His prayer contained praise and adoration. He prayed day and night. He confessed his sins and the sins of Israel. He prayed scripture back to God and reminded God of, of his covenants in verse 10. And so when we get to chapter 2, we see that Nehemiah had already been praying for four months, but he didn't go out immediately and try to ask the king for what he wanted. He waited for God to work in his life. And so now God's providence brings Nehemiah to the right point to make his request. In verse 4, it says of chapter 2, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, Have you ever had those kind of prayers where it's just, help me, Lord, or even just help? And this is what Nehemiah had done. He had been praying for four months, but yet now that it came time for him to request the king, to ask the king, he said a quick prayer. And the result was that God granted Nehemiah what he asked. Verse 8, for the good hand of my God was upon me. We had seen that in chapter 4 that Nehemiah prayed in times of trouble. He had set a guard. Nehemiah also asked God to, to remember him. And God did remember him because here it is about 2,400 years later and we are encouraged by Nehemiah, life and his witness. In chapter 9 of Nehemiah, there, we see that there's corporate prayer as well as individual prayer. And so recommend to you that not only do you pray individually, but pray corporately. Meet with other people to, to pray. I just want to take a few minutes to talk about why we should pray. We know that God's sovereign. We know that God's going to accomplish his will. Jesus told the disciples that God knows what you need before you ask him. So why do we pray? And it's because that God is sovereign. In the Lord's Prayer Jesus taught his disciples to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will not only includes the ends, but it also includes the means. And so God's plan is not only includes what he wants to happen, but includes my prayers for it and our prayers for it. God may plan to save someone, so he may prompt you or I to pray for that person and then they prompt another person to go and speak to that person. So our prayers are part of God's plan. So why do we pray? It's because God is sovereign. God is the one who's at work in the world. He's the only one that can bring 
his will to pass. And so we can pray knowing that we are praying God's kingdom upon earth and we're praying for his will. Remember one other time I was at a gas station and I saw this young couple drive up to get some gas and they were laughing and joking and having a great time flirting with each other. And I, I, I don't know why, but I just felt like I should pray for them to think about eternity. So I prayed for them to think about eternity. And the effect was immediately they stopped laughing, they stopped talking, they stared straight ahead and they were quiet. You can see that they were really thinking about something. I don't know in the grand scheme of things what God will do with that, but hopefully that God saved those two people because of that, that prayer. Nehemiah knew God. He knew God's word and covenants. He knew that God was at work in the world. And he'd, Nehemiah had prayed and he'd seen God answer those prayers in a big way. So now Nehemiah told others what God had done. Going back to chapter 2, verse 8, we see that it says, he, in telling in his story about his life that the good hand of God was upon him, in um, verse 16 of chapter 2, he says, And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and, and of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. So Nehemiah tells the people that what God's been doing in this life. And when he tells the people, it encourages them, and they rise up and, and build. And he also he told his enemies that God is at work in his life. In um, 18, when Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you're doing? Are you rebelling against the king? Then I replied to them, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we as servants will rise and build. Oftentimes when we think about witness, we think about a salesperson closing closing a sale. We're on we're uncomfortable with this, and we, we should be because we can't close the sale. It's only God who can save a person. But but look at Nehemiah. Look at his life. He knew God. He saw God's hand of providence in his life. He prayed. He saw God answer those prayers, and he told others what God had done in his life. How could he not tell others what God has done? And I think this is the biblical view of witnessing, is telling other people what God has done for us, both the day-to-day instances and also eternally. Remember once I was working at an office building and doing IT work for him, and there was this fellow that I met there, and he came up to me and was really bothered and upset. And he said, um, Paul, he said, I wanted to tell you what they're doing. He says, they are asked me to get with you and learn all I can about the, the network and about the computers, and then, then they wouldn't use you anymore. And I don't think that's right. And I said, well, that's no problem. I said, I'll be glad to teach you what I know and um, because, you know, God's, God's taking care of me. He's, he's going to take care of me, and I, so I don't have to worry. A few days later, I get a call from him, and he was saying, Paul, he says, um, I, I want what you have. He says, That's, that piece is not in my life. And so we have met together for several years in reading the, reading the Bible. He's not a believer yet, but I think that God will save him. When we look at Nehemiah, 
you know, if we're really honest, I think we would see that that Nehemiah makes us a little nervous. We probably wouldn't want to hang out with, with Nehemiah. But this is a picture of what it means to walk with the Spirit or live by the Spirit. This is the kind of life that God wants for us, that, that we that we know him and that we pray and that we tell others about him. And Nehemiah knew God. He saw that God was great and awesome. He experienced God's providence. Seeing God's work in his life encouraged him to pray. And so then seeing God's answers to his prayer encouraged Nehemiah to witness. So we come back to that question that we begin with. How do we live in a hostile culture? We we know God, we pray, and we witness. May God help us to, to live like this. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are sovereign and that you rule the world and that you ordain everything that comes to, that takes place in this world. And Father, we thank you that you reached down and saved us and that you are in the process of bringing in your kingdom and accomplishing your will when you see fit to use us. And for that, we praise you and we glorify you. So Father, we pray that this week that we would get to know you more that we would pray, that, that we would tell others about you, and that you would send your son quickly to return and to take us to heaven. And Father, we thank you for your great love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.